Welcome to Historical Fiction Unpacked. I'm your host, Allison Treat. Hello, readers. Welcome back to the show. Today, I'm sharing a conversation I had with Kimberly Duffy. Um, Kim has been on the show three, this is her third time, and I've really enjoyed every single episode that she's done. And I've enjoyed all her books that I've read too. This one I especially loved. It's called The Weight of Air. And it's a little different from her other books in that it's not set in India, or and it doesn't deal with India at all. But it's about a strong woman in a circus in 1911. So you need to listen to this conversation. It was great. We we cover so many things. We talk about, um, you know, flipping stereotypes on their heads and um, postpartum depression, which features in this novel and also featured in Kim's life. And we even come around to discussing writing when you're going through grief or trauma and how that factors into our lives. So I think you're going to love this one. I will stop my babbling now and share my interview with Kimberly Duffy. Kim, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Thanks for having me. It's fun to be back. Yeah. Um, this is the third time I've had you on, and we're talking about your fourth novel, which um, released two days ago. When this podcast comes out, it'll be two days after it released, um, February 7th. So um, it's called The Weight of Air. Can you tell me about this book? Sure. Um, it's a little bit different than my previous three novels in that it's not at all set in India. So um, it's partially set in Europe. There are a few scenes in Europe and most of it's set in New York City, which was really fun because um, I'm from New York. And my yeah. grandmother was um, was raised in New York. She was born in 1917. So she was an old mother. So my grandmother is a lot older than most of my friends and grandparents. But um, she was born to an Italian immigrant family from Sicily. They lived in like the tenements of Little Italy. So when I started writing this book, I was like, I think I'm going to set it in New York, kind of like as an ode to my grandparents and my family history. Um, it's yeah. about it's about a um, circus strong woman whose father has recently passed, and she discovers that the mother she thought had died when she was a child hadn't died, and so she goes in search of her mother. And there's romance in it, but it's mainly a story about a mother and a daughter and the healing that occurs from kind of those those old hurts. Yes. Yeah, I just finished reading it yesterday. Um, and I've read all of your novels thus far. And although I've enjoyed them all, I really, I loved this one. And I'm wondering, what inspired you to set it in the circuit to write about a strong woman in the circus? Yeah, so <clears throat> I listened to a podcast, podcast called The History Chicks with my kids. Um, you know, we homeschool and I love yeah. history. So we listen to a lot of podcasts and read a lot of like um, biographies and novels, you know, that were written a long time ago, whatever right. historical era we're studying. So we listen to this podcast called The History Chicks and they basically talk about women in history who, you know, made, made an imprint on it. And um, this was like three years ago. I was listening to a podcast on Katie Sandwina, who was a turn of the century circus strong woman, one of the strongest women in the world until I think the 80s, her, her records were beat. Um, 1980s. And I've absolutely fell in love with this woman. Like I listened to the podcast two or three times. And every time I would go to the gym, I would think about Katie. And she was just such oh, a wow. charming, amazing, just strong, wonderful woman. And I just started reading about her. And there wasn't, there's, there's not a lot of information about her, you know? So I read everything I get my hands on. And I was like, wow, I just really love this story. Like this woman 
who, who lives, lived during a time when women were tiny and frail and meant to be taken care of. And she's yeah. like a six foot tall woman, like really muscular. She beat, um, there was a, there was a strong man named Sandow and that's how she got her name. It's a derivative of Sandow, Sanguina. And she beat him in a lifting contest. And he was like the strongest man in the world at the time. And it just, just <laughs> captured the nation's attention. Like she was just this charming woman. So I really wanted to write a story kind of inspired by her. So that's yeah. what inspired me to write about a strong woman. And then I said it in the circus because I, I've actually never been to the circus. <laughs> um, but I've always been really fascinated by it. And it's just been like, so fun. Like, and you know, I love writing settings. And that's why, you know, three of my books are set in India. I love writing settings. And I just thought, yes. wow, this could be a really like lush, you know, exotic kind of fun, colorful setting for me. Right. Yeah, well, and it was, and you're so good at description. It's just, I mean, you feel like you're there. And I think having read other books about the circus and having been to the circus myself, <laughs> um, I I felt like you did such a good job with like capturing the beauty and yet like the, um, maybe the drawbacks of that kind of life. But I'm going to tell you one of the things I really loved about this book, and it's kind of, it's kind of personal for me. So this is, me being vulnerable with all, I don't know, 100 <laughs> listeners or however many people <laughs> listen to this podcast. Um, but I've read so many novels that have romance in them. And I love romance. It's a wonderful addition to any book. But I just, sometimes it grates on me that it seems like every heroine is always smaller than the hero. Um, and I, I especially despise like, Oh, she fits perfectly under his chin and that, that kind of thing. Because part of that is because like, it's fine. If you do fit under your husband's chin, that's, that's great. But I don't like you've met my husband. We're like the same size. Right. So I'm not, I'm not as large as Mabel, but I'm not a small woman. And so it was just so like refreshing to me to have, you know, a woman who's larger than the man in the relationship and still he finds her beautiful. She's not delicate. She's tall and strong. Um, so even though like we think of that as maybe the culture, the culture then that women were supposed to be small. I think there's definitely still some of that mm-hmm. in, in our, especially like movies and, and romances um, in novels. So um, it was just really refreshing to me. And I just, what made you include, like make the leading man a little smaller than her? What, what, where did you get that idea? So that Italian immigrant grandmother, she was grazing six foot tall. And so, oh. she was, yeah, she was very tall. My dad is like six, five or six, six. Um, yeah. So, you know, and she lived during a time when women typically weren't. I mean, I think the average height for a man was five foot eight when she was born. Right. So she, and she also, I mean, she has a whole story. Like she would sneak out and enter beauty pageant. She's from this big, like strict Catholic family. And like, she was just, she had such an amazing story, but um, yeah, she was very tall. And my grandfather was not as tall as her. And wow. I've always been really interested in like, you know, I really like flipping stories on their heads, especially when it comes to romances. Right. So yeah. in my relationship, my husband is taller than me by a few inches, but in my relationship, right. relationship, I have a really strong personality and it, I'm not like this real soft kind of person, you know, <laughs> like I'm very, direct, very driven, um, you know, and, and I have more in common. I feel like sometimes with my friend's husbands than with my friends. Mm. So we yeah. share personality types. Like I have a very, my personality type is 
probably not as typical for a woman. You know, it's definitely not as typical for a woman. So I just like flipping stereotypes. And when I considered this and I thought, wow, you know, she's a strong woman. She's going to have to be tall, right? Um, yeah. I have to be really strong and muscular. I mean, she lifts weight for a living, right? She's going to be larger. She's not going to be delicate and small. And I thought like, who can the romantic foil be like? Who can that person be? And I really wanted to discuss because I have a history of body image disorders and um, eating disorders. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to, um, like you, I'm, I'm really annoyed sometimes by the cookie cutter, you know, heroines and there's nothing wrong. I've written small, you know, right. before there's nothing wrong with that, but I really want it for this story. I wanted to address that because I think there's beauty in diversity and strong yes. women can be beautiful and short men can be handsome. Right. 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 I think we focus so much on these physical aspects, these traditional physical aspects that I don't know. I just wanted to kind of address that in, in yeah. a way that makes sense to the story, which I felt like this one did. Yeah, totally. But it's really interesting that, um, you know, there's that scene, which I believe in the author's note you said was true to life for um, the woman you based this on, where she's like measured and found to be exactly like the ideal measurements for beauty. And yet, like, um, you know, the the hero comes in and says, it doesn't have anything to do with her measurements. That's not why she's beautiful. It's so interesting <laughs> that like there's some kind of standard of ideal beauty. And yet we know that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. It's right. not. And it changes constantly. Yes. It constantly changes. And she, you know, in the story and in real life, you know, Katie Sanduino was measured just like that in that scene and was called, you know, the world, she like the world's perfect body. You know, she was a standard of beauty. But at the time, like that was like huge. That was a big deal. Like that hadn't happened before with a woman of her size, you know? Right. She kind of like came in and like changed that whole perception of what a a beautiful woman, a strong woman could look like. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and like, that's kind of like where Mabel's at, but she has this history of being ostracized and objectified because of her. So how do you reconcile those two things? How does she think, okay, well, now that the world says this is okay, is it okay? Like, you still have that past. Right. Yeah, and that was a very real struggle for her, which I'm I'm glad that you brought that out in the book. Yeah, well, I, I think that's a real struggle for so many women. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is. So you already mentioned that you had to, that you didn't, you hadn't even been to the circus? Have No, have you gone to the circus. <laughs> So I'm assuming you had to do a lot of research, but mm-hmm. let me read this. There was a quote in the book that I loved where you said, um, the circus was dream and nightmare all wrapped up together, but so too was most of life. Mm-hmm. I just thought that was so beautiful. Um, so what kind of research did you do to, to make sure that you portrayed the circus accu- accurately? Well, before I begin any book, I, I buy a bunch of research books and I comb through them and highlight and put little sticky tabs And I, you know, I have videos like YouTube videos that I watch and um, I read a lot of source documents. So, you know, I read a lot of, I mean, there is like Barnum and Bailey had really good records and they like had a list of like all the stops they made in a certain, you know, in certain years and for how long they were there and how much things cost. And, and so I just, I kind of do my research ahead of time and I just keep track of things. Um, I watched a lot of videos, especially when it came to acrobats and strong women and like strong people in general, like how they would lift things and how it would feel. And, 
you know, how people move. I actually got in touch with a friend of mine. Her husband is an engineer. And then I have another friend who's an engineer. And um, I got in touch with both of them to make sure that things are actually happening. They were like, should they, they should happen in the air. <laughs> I, have, I have things backwards. And he's like, yeah, that won't work. I'm like, oh, okay, well, it's good to know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I love to research. And the hard part for me is not including everything I find because it's all so interesting. But right. um, I was able to kind of plug things in here and there. I wish I had been able to visit a circus when I was younger, but it's amazing the things that are on YouTube, like the videos. <laughs> yes. And then you mentioned also that you, you know, I was going to bring this up, that all your other books were involved heavily, either set in India or mostly in India. And so this book starts overseas, but then most of it takes place in New York. So what uh, you said it was fun to write about your your home state but was there what was especially nice about it for you or or was it hard not to go back to india <laughs> in this book i was actually glad for the break from india um, yeah. as much as i love to research like it is hard it's hard to write a book in a country you're not from um yeah. because you don't know what you don't know and i'm just always kind of worried that i'm and i had an amazing sensitivity reader who combed through all of my books you know so i'm confident right. that and most of it's pretty accurate um, just because of her help. You know, the hard part about it was that India makes it easy to write beautiful settings. Mm. So I had to work really hard, harder than I typically do um, to make sure that the setting came alive and um, was written in a way like that kind of like lyrical descriptive way that my readers have come to expect, you know? And so right. we that a book set in New York and mostly in Madison Square Garden, you know, most of the scenes are in Madison Square Garden. Um, was yeah. able to be written in that way. That was kind of the hard part, but um, it was just really enjoyable setting a book in New York because I haven't been home in a few years. I mean, not since before COVID. And I, I for all its problems, I love New York and I love mm-hmm. its history and I love the vibrancy. And it was fun to think like, you know, I would send my characters to Little Italy or to Coney Island. It was fun to think like, you know, in a few years they could bump into my grandmother, you know? So it was kind of fun to, to set things <laughs> with that kind of perspective. Yes. Yeah, that's so cool. And I love New York too. I'm like two and a half hours from it, but I haven't been I haven't been there since before COVID either. So Yeah. I miss it. So Isabella, who is Mabel's mother, um, she suffers from postpartum depression and that's a theme that comes up in the book. So um in the author's note, you talked about your own struggles with that. Would you like to speak to that now and and how did your own experience inspire her struggles? Sure. Yeah. I actually didn't intend for that to happen, which things oh. like that don't happen often maybe because I plot my books so meticulously. Um, <laughs> so I'm always a little bit surprised, like, oh, wow, like this is kind of interesting. But um, I, yeah, it just, it, it came out in that first scene and I was like, oh, well, where am I going with this? Um, I struggled with postpartum depression um, with my second two. My first two, I struggled with postpartum OCD, which is kind of a lesser known cousin of it. And I've had OCD since I was a kid. I was diagnosed mm-hmm. after my daughter was born. It just aggravated it. Those like postpartum hormones aggravated the OCD to the point where I became um, kind of afraid to leave my house. It, it was really bad. Mm-hmm. I was having yeah. like wanted thoughts and anyone with an anxiety disorder, you know, knows what, but, but they're disturbing. It's, a, it's kind of a disturbing thing to go through yes. especially right after you've had a baby. And, you know, I, yes. I remember after my fourth was born sitting on the kitchen floor, I just made dinner my family was eating, sitting on the kitchen floor, my back against the counter, like, my the cabinet sobbing, just feeling so hopeless. And it was, it was horrible. Like you have this precious little life and it's supposed to be the mm-hmm. best moment of your life. And you feel like there's no hope. 
And it was that moment I was like, okay, the first three times I suffered through it and I didn't get help. Well, I got some therapy with my second one, but I, I wasn't through medication or anything. And with my fourth one, I was like, I have four kids. Like I can't, I can't go with this. So I did take some medication for about a year. Um, and I don't like the way I feel a medication, but it did get me through that. It, it, right. It functional, you know? Um, and then I was able to wean off it after a year. Um, <clears throat> but I was at a writer, like a reader retreat and it was, I just finished writing this book and I, I, I wasn't sure. And I'm still not sure how people are going to respond to it because these are, these are real hard problems, you know, and, mm. and it's kind of, it's just tough to look at this stuff. And so I, I just wasn't sure. Um, I, I hope that people embrace this message and, you know, enjoy this story. But one of the questions we were all kind of on the writers were all on a panel on stage and, um, the MC was asking questions to the audience. And one of the questions was, um, what do you wish, what issues do you wish were addressed in Christian fiction? And this woman, like her hand shot up in the air and she jumped up and she's like, I really want to see characters with postpartum OC, like postpartum depression. I never see that. It's never talked mm-hmm. about. And so afterwards I was able to have lunch with her and a couple other women. And I was like, you know, my next book addresses that in she was experiencing it in that moment. And it's so hard. Like it's so hard because people, first of all, they don't want to talk about it. It's just this ugly side of pregnancy and having a baby. Absolutely. No one wants to discuss and it affects a lot of women and we kind of suffer in silence and there's so much shame attached to it. Even now it's hard for me to think about it without feeling this sense of shame. Like I failed somehow. I failed my baby. I failed my body. You know, I feel like the natural, I failed the natural order of things, the way things are supposed to be. And I, I always want women to come away from my books feeling seen and heard. Yeah. I am I am so grateful and honored to be able to write a book that will make that particular woman feel seen and heard. You know? Right. Yeah. I I'm saying yes and nodding along with you and like getting a little choked up because I know how you feel. And I um I I, I wanna say I didn't suffer with depression so much as anxiety mm-hmm. after each child. And I did finally for the third one. And last one, I did finally go on medication because it is that point where you realize, you know, I have to be able to take care of people. (laughs) And it's not, it's not okay for me to just not be able to go places and see people and and be so consumed with, with fear Mm -hmm. that I can't function. So yeah, same thing. And no, there shouldn't be shame about it, but you do, you're right. You do feel like, oh, why? Why can't I handle this? Right. And there's, you know, and I think social media has been good in some ways, but there's this idealized vision of motherhood that you kind of stumble across. And, you know, there's all these pretty pictures of these happy mothers in their white gown (laughs) holding their perfect little babies and everything's light Mm -hmm. and airy. And when you don't have that experience, like there's just, there's this feeling that you, that there's no hope and you're so alone in it. And I yeah. never want, I never want anyone to feel alone in their struggles, you know? And I just feel like when you talk about things and you bring them out into the open, it lessens the, it lessens like the stigma. Yeah. It lessens the, the stigma and, and it makes people feel as though they're understood and being understood is, is huge. It is. And that's actually one of the best things about fiction. I think is that, you can read a certain character and say, Oh, you too. <laughs> like, right. You get it. Um, yeah. You know, you connect so much. Yeah. 
Yeah. So thanks for, you know, doing that in your book and sharing about it and being so vulnerable. You know, people say that all the time. Like, I don't feel like I'm being vulnerable. I don't know that I am capable of not talking about these things. I'll just part of my struggles. And to me, it doesn't feel like I'm being vulnerable. It feels like I have an opportunity, you know, like I have an opportunity to make somebody else, even if it's just one person, somebody else feels seen and heard. And to me, like, that's not, like, I'll never keep quiet if that's my, my chance. Right. Good. That's great. Um, so there was another quote I loved and I'm going to read that too. They said, I mean, there were actually several others, but I'll read this one. <laughs> they said nothing else about it because sometimes the only thing one could do when badly wronged was forgive, move forward with living, allow the hurts of the past to find healing in the promise of the future. Kim, what the what? Like, how are you so wise? The theme of forgiveness is just, it's so important to this book. Yeah, um, is that, I assume that's something you planned. If you didn't plan the uh, postpartum depression thing, but you usually plot very, very meticulously, as you said. Uh-huh. Um, so you planned the theme of forgiveness? Yes. Yeah, that was planned. Yeah. Well, not uh, originally. Originally, Isabella was not going to be a nice person. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, she was originally plotted as like, just not a great person. And, and as I started writing her, I just, all these things started coming out like, these struggles that she had. And I was like, you know, I don't write villains really well because I want people, like people are three dimensional and most people aren't either all good or all bad. Right. Yeah. So I had to go back and replot my story. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, but yeah, the theme of forgiveness, once I replot it the second time, that was definitely woven in on purpose because I don't think, I don't think you can write a book about family hurt and relational hurt and not mm-hmm. address forgiveness because I don't like books that end hopeless. I want all my books, even though they address hard issues, I want them to end with hope. And there yeah. is the only way you can have hope in a relationship that's been damaged is with forgiveness. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I just loved how that kept coming up and Mabel kept just, you know, like releasing, no matter what her mother told her, she was able to put it behind her. Mm-hmm. Because she was, she was so desperate. She was so desperate to, to have a home. Yeah. I mean, that connection was more important to her than holding a grudge. And Mabel's like a very different character for me. So most of my characters are very, like, like I said, very, they're, they're a lot like me. They're very driven. They have very strong personalities. Some people might, some people do say they're abrasive. (laughs) 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 I don't think they are, but some people do. And Mabel is, is very much not like that. Yeah. Isabella is, um, but Mabel is not. And I needed Mabel to basically be like Jesus for Isabella to find healing. Right. And it's so interesting because Mabel being such a large um, person physically, but she still was insecure mm-hmm. um, about things and she wasn't a pushover but she had those like mm-hmm. that very soft heart right. and and she didn't um you know she could be hurt easily i think no. yeah and that was actually she was sensitive too like i i when i was planning her as a character i knew i could have made her very like stereotypically like the strong woman like a strong woman in every way but yeah. i purposely made her soft and forgiving yeah. and very feminine 
Um, I wanted that juxtaposition because, you know, Katie Sandalina, like she was this very strong woman who was lifting weights and beating men, but she loved pretty dresses and painting her nails. Like, mm. And I love that because we're not one dimension. We're not these flat one dimensional creatures, you know, no. we're complex. We have lots of layers and I want it to show that in Mabel. Right. Yeah. So you have been doing this gig for a few, a few years now. Mm-hmm. Um, this is your fourth book, as we said, and you're with your dream publisher, Bethany House. You've mm-hmm. recently acquired a new agent who I think I saw on Instagram that she begged to be your agent. <laughs> so um, do you feel like you're living the dream? Is this author life what you always thought it would be? Um. I threw I threw that question out, out at you with, with no warning. I realized no, that's okay. No, I'm I'm very I'm just a pragmatic person, um, yeah. and I I knew what I wanted from the time I was like twelve, and I never wanted anything else. And I knew I was going to get it. I don't want to sound arrogant, but I I feel like in life, if you work hard enough, mm-hmm. um, and and you don't give up, and you show some grit, you know, I I don't know. It's kind of like a numbers game. Like eventually. It's going to happen, whatever that looks like. That may look like a traditional publisher. It may look like indie publishing. You know, I knew I was going to be writing at some point. Um, yeah. And I, because my life has not been a cakewalk, I know that most things are not as easy or dreamy as they seem, you know, right. um, in your daydreams. So I do feel very, very lucky. And every time a book comes out, I pinch myself because I cannot believe, like it just, I'm with my dream publisher and I'm publishing these books. I love to write and I'm, I'm getting emails from people who are touched by my words, which is an amazing honor. Um, so I feel very, very lucky, but not all of it is dreamy. Some of it is really, really hard. And I know that with any book, it could be my last book with Bethany house. And I hope not because I love working for them, but I'm always thinking one step ahead you know, so mm-hmm. if this happens, what will I do? If this happens, what will I do? So, um, yeah, I, I wish I'm not, I'm not a very romantic person. It's <laughs> very like practical. Well, that's good. I think, I think it's better. It makes for a happier life if you're yeah more realistic, I think. <laughs> yeah. Maybe a little cynical. Like, <laughs> I'm not great, but <laughs> I'm always expecting for the bad to happen so that when the good happens, I'm like mildly surprised. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So what are you working? What are you working on next? Can you tell us about that? Sure. So I was traveling for a little while. I was living the dream with my family. Yeah. <laughs> and um, as happens, <laughs> it didn't end up the way we expected. Um, and so while I was traveling, I was writing this story that had been on my heart for a couple of years and, and I just loved it. And it was just, you know, I was a couple chapters in and it was all planned. I'm like, oh, this is so much fun. And it was historical. And um, and then just our life imploded. And we had to very suddenly come back home and everything was turned upside down. And it has right. been the most stressful, like, three months that my family has ever experienced. And I found that I couldn't write. I, mm. Every time I would open Word, I would stare at it. And I felt this, like, churning pit in my stomach. Um, <clears throat> because that book was relying on me traveling and mm. you know, I could do the research and stuff and I can still write this, but I couldn't bring myself to it because I was so heartbroken. Um, yes. so I sent a message to my wonderful new agent and she's like, why don't you write something different? Like just try something different for now. You know, I'm not on a deadline. So, um, I was like, okay, I'm going to write a contemporary romance. <laughs> so that's where I'm at right now. I'm, I'm at the midway point of my draft and it is 
exactly what I need to be doing right now. It is lighthearted and fun oh, and romantic and nobody dies. So Christy Hunter will be happy to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there's just lots of kissing and it's, it's set in England. Um, and it's, it's been good for me. So I still yeah. plan on going back to that previous book, but I'm taking a little bit of a break from my typical kind of heavier, more complex stories. And I'm just kind of, I'm going to finish writing this book. Um, I don't know what's going to happen with it, but I'm enjoying the process. And then when I'm done with this book, I think I'll be ready then to go back to my historical roots. Um, honestly, if, if I could say what my dream is right now, it would be, I see myself writing a historical novel every year, 18 months and a contemporary romance every year, 18 months. And like, you know, like I'm mm. publishing, you know, every six or 12 months publishing a new book and that would feel like the best of both worlds. I don't know if that can happen, but I'm enjoying doing it. Oh, that's great. I want to say I have a, like a, a similar <laughs> type of difficulty with writing. So because last year or last Christmas when my sister died, mm-hmm. after that, I just could not. So I was already at a place of very, being very discouraged with trying to sell something and trying to get an agent. Um, but also, you know, when my sister died, I had that huge grief on top of it. And um, I could not seem to write anything, especially anything long form, um, until this opportunity came up Um to write a Christmas novella. So I actually, I have drafted that and it was, it, even though it's very different from most of my things that I've written, written before that, it just, I think it was what I needed, like that different kind of lighter spark, something to focus on that isn't too deep and complicated. Yeah. <laughs> Although it always goes a little deeper than I expect, but. Right. But what, when you write these, when you write these harder stories and you're going through hard things, Yes. You sometimes feel like you don't have enough room to deal with emotionally the real life hardness and then the story hardness. Cause like, you know, when you write, it's not like you're just going to an office sitting at a desk and like rattling off some numbers, right? Like there's an emotional connection there. And it, like my stories are interwoven with me. Like I am like all over every page of my books. And so when you're going through grief or trauma, it's just really hard to write yeah. something that addresses grief or trauma. Yes, it is. And I think that, you know, years later, it is cathartic to write about it. Mm-hmm. Um, or even in the moment, it's cathartic to write about it as it's happening, like in your journal, but not to be read by anybody else. I think it's cathartic to incorporate it into stories right. after you've healed. Yeah, I agree. Or or after you've healed someone, <laughs> at least. Yeah. I, I mean, I couldn't have written... I couldn't have written a novel about a woman who suffered postpartum depression when I was in the middle of postpartum depression. Right. But I have those experiences and I can, it can lend some credibility to the, to the story. But yeah, when you're in the middle of that and like what you suffered through and, and the grief and I mean, how can you, I don't know, how can you find space in your head to be able to dive into the pages like that? Sometimes you just need something different in life. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Kim, this is my last question for you. And, um, you know, I usually end with a question, the same question for everybody, but since you've been on, this is your third time on the podcast, I wanted to come up with a different question for repeat guests. So um, it's kind of a fun question. If you could choose any time in history to live other than right now, when you do live, (laughs) um, what time period would you choose to live in? 
I, I love this question. I think it's so much fun. Okay. So I've given this a lot of thought. <laughs> like, <laughs> I really have, I've like made lists about this. Um, <laughs> I would choose to live in the time when my books are set. So like 1880s through 1920, yeah. because it, it was like such an exciting time in history, like without all like the war and like, like <laughs> human suffering of like, yeah, we could take like, that out of it. Yeah. Like the Renaissance or ancient Rome. Um, <laughs> But I'm like, they had pretty decent medical care. I mean, still not as good as today, but decent enough. Right. But um, there was so much changing. And like, just like this, like one of the reasons I left in this book in New York during that time is because it was coming alive. Like mm-hmm. Mabel was living in New York when New York was growing into the most important city, in my opinion, in the world. <laughs> so, yeah. Like there's just, there's this vibrancy and this like change and everything was growing. Like it was a time when women could finally travel and work in industry. Science Mm -hmm. was just exploding. Like fashion was going through this metamorphosis. Art, like literature, everything was just, it just kind of came together in this big swirling ball of energy and just exploded all over the place. And I just, I think it would be such an exciting time to, to live. Yeah. I love that. I actually, I love that time period too. Kim, this has been a great conversation. What is the best way for listeners to follow you? Um, so they can find me at my website, www.kimmeldeffy.com. And if you sign up for my newsletter, you'll get um, a cute little story. And I don't send newsletters out super often. I probably should be more regular about it, but every few months you'll get one. Um, and then the best way to reach me is to get on Instagram because it's my social media of choice. And it is author Kimberly Duffy. And I'm pretty active on there. And I love I love hearing from readers. So if you've read this book and it has touched you in some way or you enjoyed it, please shoot me a message and let me know. Yes. Awesome. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me again. So my friends, I know you enjoyed that conversation with Kim. Um, I want to remind you to go to the show notes because there you can find Kim's book and other information about her, as well as some of the things that we talked about on the show today. So head to the show notes. They're either in your favorite listening app or on my website at alisontreat.com slash blog. Now, I always like to tell you some ways that you can help the show. So one of the biggest ways is by subscribing or following the show. And once you've done that, you can rate and review Historical Fiction Unpacked. You can also join our Facebook group on Facebook. You can search for Historical Fiction Unpacked podcast group, or you can get to there from the show notes. Um, We also have an Instagram account at Historical Fiction Unpacked. And if you'd like to become a patron, you can check out the perks involved in that at patreon.com slash Allison Treat. You can also get there from the show notes. So be sure to visit the show notes because there's so much good information there. As you know, if you've listened to Historical Fiction Unpacked at all, I always like to end the show with a quote. And this one comes from Kavita Ramdas. We need women who are so strong they can be gentle, so educated they can be humble, so fierce they can be compassionate, so passionate they can be rational, and so disciplined they can be free. That sounds like a good goal for any of us. So my friends, keep reading historical fiction, and I will talk to you again next week.